0: From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 149. Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon Hover and Igloo. My name is Mike Hurley, and we've got the band back together because Stephen Hackett is here. Hello, Stephen Hackett.
1: Hello, Michael Hurley. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, the 4th of July. It's raining outside. We're here together.
0: Is this a haiku? It sounds like a haiku.
1: Yeah, it was, I don't know. I didn't count the syllables, but uh, I'm a little disappointed that I haven't gotten any gifts for Fourth of July yet from from you. What about Federico? Did you get me anything?
2: Uh, no. And this reminds me of a joke on The Big Bang Theory when, like, someone convinced uh, Rajesh Rajesh that uh, on the Fourth of July, uh, people from another country are supposed to give Americans gifts, and so for like for ten years he gave his friends gifts on the Fourth of July to celebrate America. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. That's not a thing. I don't think you're supposed to give your American friends gifts on the 4th of July. No. So I don't have anything for you. I'm sorry.
0: I'm assuming that the postal service is closed on the 4th of July, right? I would I would I would think so. That's why yes. you haven't got your gift from me. It's in the mail, but they're not delivering it today. Interesting.
1: So. <laughs> Tomorrow is going to be a great day for you. That's a real promise that I feel like you're going to break. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Amazon.com. Yeah. (laughs) Same day delivery. Uh, So we had some people write in and ask about the prompt curse. Y'all mentioned this, I think, on last week's episode about uh, the iPad uh, and iOS 11 and exploding. We should explain what it is because we have a lot of listeners who are around during the prompt days. Uh, we had a show before this called The Prompt. The archives are on the Relay website. You can go dig through and find them. Uh, if you find the one about the iPhone keynote. I think it's episode 30 is uh, probably by far the best one. But the prompt curse happened because we used to cover... Uh, photo services on the show a lot, back when they were kind of a thing before iCloud Photo Library and Google Photos took everything over. So we'd cover companies like Everpix and what were some of the others? I don't even rem- remember. Yeah, I don't know. But um, they're all gone because we spoke about them. So we would talk about a photo service and the next week they would have a Medium post apologizing that they were going out of business and all your photos were gone. Mm-hmm. This led to a website that'll be in the show notes prompt.photos which is i haven't seen this in like in a couple of years and it is uh amazing so the prompt curse we talk about a service or an app and then the service or app goes out of business it has happened to things other than photo services um but it is a thing that happened It is a thing that can, continues to happen we have this i don't want to call it a gift i don't know what to call it we have this power it's
2: a, it's a curse that's in the name yeah we have a very specific set of skills
1: that's
2: right. Which is the f- to find services and to kill them. <laughs> yeah. This is what so, we do.
1: <laughs> so if you have an app or a service that you would like sunsetted, get in touch and mm-hmm. we'll talk about it on we'll the talk air. Talk about it and kill it.
2: I'm not even yeah. sure Medium used to be a thing when we were doing the prompt and these companies would shut down. Uh, back in the day, it was so difficult to announce uh, that your company was mm. laying off people and yeah. shutting down. It was It was a real struggle. And then Medium came along and sort of provided this new uh, niche, you know, uh, these companies that need to announce that they've been acquired uh, and sort of Medium kind of revolutionized that space of (laughs) shutdown announcements. It's really, it's really notable, you know, in hindsight.
1: This leads to a paradox. Undoubtedly, Medium will go out of business. Mm -hmm. Like Mm. probably sooner rather than later. They are heading that way. Where, yeah, they're doomed. Where does Medium announce that they are going out of business?
2: My money is on the medium programmers are leaving some ASCII code in the source code of the web page. Like you can inspect the web page and you will see the announcement into the HTML. You know, that kind of thing. It's, sort of like a good. meta
0: meta shutdown yeah. announcement.
1: Yeah. Or they could go old school and put it on Tumblr or LiveJournal. There's lots of options. I
0: would say a self-hosted Jekyll
1: install with a
0: Dropbox <laughs> folder on a GitHub. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah. It, the all of Medium just redirects to a to a guest, and uh, it's just like, oh, sorry, we ran out of money. VCs have no place to apologize now. It's gonna be sad. So, Mike, have you installed the iOS eleven beta yet? Yep, I gave up. <laughs> 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 all right,
0: that that didn't take long.
1: <laughs> I was setting myself up for a summer full of jokes, <laughs> it's over in one one week. It was just I really wanted
0: to do it, and then. Can't wait to do it. We had to record Upgrade early, and there wasn't any news. So the only thing that we could think to talk about was iOS 11. And I didn't want another episode where I was just asking people questions, so I installed it. Like, I So just, you're
2: asking didn't... yourself questions?
0: Well, it's just me and Jason were just talking about some of our experiences. Mine were very early, because I only did it that morning, so I'd only used it for a couple of hours But it was really, it was just the excuse that I needed, right? Because I really wanted to do it. I kept backing up my iPad. Like, I just kept doing it. Like, I would back up my iPad and then I would chicken out. Like, I did this for like four days. I kept like, (laughs) I back it up and I was like, no, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I back it up and I can't do it. So I'm using it and I really like it. There are some things that are horrifically broken, but that was expected, right? Like, test flight is just kaput. For me, um, which I know is is a... If things happen to some, not happen to others, some third-party apps are working but missing key features. Like, I currently cannot export anything out of Dropbox. Uh, I have to use other apps <laughs> to get things out of Dropbox. You know, there's just stuff. But I will say that, for me, the new multitasking interface, I'm absolutely in love with it. Like, I... Um, I already feel so much more productive. Like it takes getting used to because you have to adapt your workflows. But I feel like I have so much more control over the apps. Like I did this one thing today where I had two apps open side by side, right? And I was like, oh, I'd be really much so much easier if I could just move this one to the left. And I was like, I wonder if I can do that. And yes, you can. You can swap the apps around now. And and mm-hmm. I, I nearly squealed of excitement. Uh, And then I was like, oh, I need a calculator up. And I'd usually just like open another app. But like, no, I can bring up pCalc in the little slide over window. And like, there are some things that are different, like command tab, whilst also being pretty broken right now, doesn't do what it used to do, where it would just switch out one app, but I'm getting really quick at just, like, flicking up the dot, bringing out the app, and, like, and I also feel like I just have way more control about where apps are going to go, like, I can open them in the specific place that I want them to be, rather than opening and then readjusting everything around it, like... I know a lot of people are struggling right now and think it's complicated and coming from their previous workflow, but I think we're just holding on to what I, what is fundamentally a broken way of doing things with the iOS 9 version of multitasking. Like this is vastly superior in I think almost every single way. Like I love it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with you, especially now that I'm uh I'm using a bunch of third party apps that have drag and drop support um you know, putting together the various bits from my review. And just using this stuff, you know, the the slide over with three apps at the same time um, and drag and drop and, you know, some of these other changes are really just so impressive coming from iOS 10. Um, I'm saving so many steps that I would have, you know, otherwise uh, sort of, I would have used like workarounds and workflows. And now what I'm noticing is I'm using way fewer workflows than I used to do. And also I'm copying stuff to the clipboard way less because you don't need to use the clipboard anymore just to move data back and forth between different apps. You can just hold it and move. And I know that um, uh, this is a discussion that we'll probably have later on. Uh, It takes, you know, you need to use multiple fingers, sometimes multiple hands, and it can feel like a whole circus going on like you need to be a contortionist and perform these gestures but they do work and there's a there's a kind of like geeky pleasure of being able to have these gestures and this multi-touch enabled drag and drop it feels fun and that's hard to explain i
0: feel like i'm really in control like i feel like i have so much more control of what's going on than i did before because i don't know like i feel like i'm able to bend it all to my will a little bit, but like more than I used to, rather than me working like around all of those things. Like it's it's much nicer. I will say I'm, I'm not using drag and drop, right? Because most of the apps that I'm using don't support it. So I'm looking forward to that additional world of drag and drop as things move along throughout the, the year. I will say just to follow up on last week, I don't want to get into this again because it makes me sad, but the notifications and widgets cover sheet thing is as much as a disaster as Federico outlined.
1: That's literally the next thing in follow-up. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I'm i running it too. I put it on my 10.5-inch iPad on Friday. And I very quickly realized that my entire iPad home screen was wrong because apps in the dock are blessed in a way that apps not in the dock aren't. Kind of like watchOS, actually, mm-hmm. that those things in the dock have can, are easier to get to and can do more things. And so I basically collapsed my home screen into the dock and sort of, promoted stuff that have been in folders or on the second screen up to the home screen. So nothing is where it used to be, but like the two of you, I do feel like I'm in more control and I, I, I'm still sort of learning how everything works. Like I, sometimes I'll try something and it doesn't work the way I expect it to. And some of the gestures are, are I think a little less than ideal. Like if you have an app, for instance, that uses sliding panes like Slack and you have it in the, in the third, like, uh, popover window and you want to push it back off the screen and if you don't get it just right you're just moving the the interface around inside of Slack instead of moving Slack itself because there's kind of a very thin strip you need to hit. I think a lot of developers still need to like they need
0: to approach that right like I feel like people haven't done that yet right like worked out like how do I make sure I give people enough space to be able to move the the UI around right.
1: Yeah but uh, all in all it's impressive and I think that iOS 11 is going to be awesome. So way to go, iOS 11 team. Uh, but you said you didn't want to get into cover sheet, and that's too bad because that is the next thing in follow-up. We have a long tweet thread we'll link to the first one in the show notes about kind of, kind of following up on Mike on what you said about, you know, maybe is there, is there something about this design that is giving us hints or make more sense with the next iPhone. So Apple has done this in the past, right? Where they'll put things in iOS that don't quite make full sense until you see the new hardware. And I think that's what this tweet thread is getting to. Um, so Federico, do you want to do you want to take this?
2: So the idea here is that uh, if we consider uh, a future iPhone without a home button um, and with a more prominent use of 3D touch, uh, the argument. Uh, from this person goes uh, the cover sheet design makes sense because the, you know to open the phone to unlock the phone you tap on a notification so all you need to do is you 3D touch on a notification, you unlock the phone and you also you know, you see what's then what the not- that notification is all about and it makes sense if we follow this idea to merge the uh, Sort of the notifications and the lock screen because you pick up the phone, you look at what's new, you tap it on notification, and you authenticate somehow, whether that's Touch ID or you know maybe by looking at the phone, which we're gonna talk about in a few minutes. Um, so the idea is you remove confusion by merging these two areas of iOS, and you know you you have a list of notifications, you tap it, and you go into the phone which is unlocked, and it lets you view the notification. The, I sort of understand, like, the idea behind this, to merge everything, to, like, uh, make a single place where you can view all of your messages and alerts from apps and to also unlock the phone the moment that you open a notification. But the problem the problem that I have with this idea is it kind of falls apart if you have no notifications. Um, and at that point, w- what is left to do on the lock screen... Uh, it, you authenticate and you're back into the phone. So we're not really merging these two aspects um, because then again, if you unlock the phone and then you swipe down and then you view no notifications, then you need to swipe up again. And as I said last week, my main problem is this sort of, um, this seesaw approach of I need to swipe down and then I need to swipe up even more carefully until I feel this, Taptic feedback from the from the iPhone that tells me you're scrolling up to view your older notifications, whereas before, if I swipe down, I knew I could just keep keep scrolling without like a release mechanism to load my previous notifications. And so while I understand the current design of We want to make it easier for people because they associate the lock screen with notifications. Therefore, when you swipe down, you view notifications, so you view the lock screen. It's the interaction that bothers me. It's the fact that you need to release very intentionally to load the older notifications and also the complete absence of gestures to triage, individual notifications, which is basically impossible now because you need to carefully tap on a notification, which a lot of people have problems. For example, Sylvia cannot long press on her iPhone. I don't know if it's because she's a woman. She has, uh, obviously, you know, she has longer fingernails, you know. The, it's She's a different kind of user, so she cannot use 3D touch properly. Hmm. She cannot even long press properly on the screen because her touches are often not recognized. And so you're making it, making it more difficult to expand a single notification, whereas it was much easier to just swipe across the screen and do one thing at a time with individual notifications. It's just, I understand the design, I understand the idea, it's the implementation that could be so much better. And again, the release mechanism of dividing the non-seen notifications versus the older ones and you need to swipe up and you feel the tap and you kinda you need to load them. It's very intentional and it really slows me down. And I would like to see in beta three or in beta four, whatever, like a refinement of this idea. Because it it can go somewhere, but not with the current design in my opinion.
0: I think that knowing everything that we know and we're gonna get into these iPhone rumors next because I think we just have to follow with this. I, I I see that there is some thought with this that that makes sense to me. Like, if looking at your phone now unlocks your phone, then all you need to do is just interact with it in a way, right? So, like, just swiping up from the bottom, or I expect there to be like some virtual button on the home screen that maybe you would just tap and it would take you there, right? Like, it just opens it up or something, right? Because there's going to be all this new screeners day or something. But I, I could see a world in which this makes sense if Touch ID is not needed anymore. I agree with you, like, some of the implementation's wonky and that can get better. But it really does feel to me like that there's something in this which is lining up with the rest of the rumors that we've heard about the iPhone, considering how little sense this currently makes with what we're currently using, that it feels to me that there just has to be something there.
1: I mean, I don't know what hardware would dictate the the... Us losing the ability to dismiss a single notification.
0: Yo, that's like, broken. But I'm not talking about that. Like I'm talking about yeah. the idea I mean, of merging all of this stuff together as a concept. Like yeah. I said, the implementation is still leaves a lot to be desired. Like the, the the fine details, but the overall idea of why you would do this, I think, lends to that.
1: Yeah, I think that's it for follow up. All right, let's I've done it.
0: Yeah, I I, wa- I want to just talk about this iPhone stuff now because we're moving into it already. Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon, the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear are made by this company because they believe that. Pairing premium fabrics with meticulous attention to detail and giving you a simple shopping experience to get them home, Mack can deliver to you a new level of daily comfort straight to your door. They believe... And I agree that Mack Weldon is better than anything else that you have. It's better than whatever you're wearing right now. They make undershirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and waistbands that do not roll. Everything is made with premium cotton blended with natural fibers. And I love that their website is built to get you in and out as quickly as possible. They don't want to waste your time. They want to do their best to get you what you need and get you on your way. Mack Weldon are so confident in the quality of their products that they have a no-question-to-ask return policy. They want to make sure that you're super comfortable in what you wear. If for any reason you don't like your first pair, just keep them and they'll refund you. No questions asked. I love my MacWeldon Weldon clothing and I desperately need more of it. And I'm going to take care of that very soon as I'm making another trip to the US. So Stephen, look out for a package. That won't be your gift, but it might be some new underwear for me. Not only do MacWeldon's Weldon's underwear, socks and shirts look good, they perform well too. They're good for working out, going to work, traveling or for everyday life. Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com by using the code Connected. Thank you so much to MacWeldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. I feel like we've gone around this tree quite a few times, but we're back to talk about Touch ID again on the potential next iPhone, which I think for the, the case of this discussion, we'll just refer to as the iPhone Pro. Are we all happy to refer to this phone as the iPhone Pro for this discussion? All right. Yeah, sure. Just so we can differentiate it in some way. So our good old friend at KGI Securities, Ming-Chi Kuo, has issued a predictions report for the iPhone Pro. And these are some of the things that Ming-Chi Kuo mentions. So I'll read these through and then we'll we'll jump into the Touch ID one because it's probably the more interesting of all of this. So uh, Ming-Chi Kuo says that the next iPhone will feature the biggest screen-to-body ratio of any phone on the market, therefore having the thinnest bezels. The screen will be OLED, the home button will be virtual, the front camera will include 3D depth sensing technology that will help with face scanning because Minchuko says that the next iPhone, the iPhone Pro, will have no Touch ID sensor of any kind. So this is a direct quote. We predict the OLED model won't support fingerprint recognition. Reasons being: one, the full screen design doesn't work with existing capacitive fingerprint recognition, and two, the scan through ability of the under display fingerprint solution still has technical challenges. So Ming-Chi Kuo is saying that Apple has not been able to, or they they that they believe that KGI believes that Apple has not been able to embed a Touch ID sensor into the screen of the phone. So, instead of putting it anywhere else on the device they are getting rid of Touch ID in favor of face scanning, 3D depth sensing face scanning, which they've implemented for this phone, and that it would be good enough. So there's a few questions about this. And there's also a Bloomberg report, which we'll get to in a moment, which I think addresses some of these questions, but I want to talk through them as a group. So first off, would Apple remove Touch ID? So removing Touch ID could potentially cut support for Apple Pay, right? If there's no authentication method. So let's just assume that there's no Touch ID. Apple's not going to just get rid of this method, right? There's going to be some kind of authentication because otherwise, where does Touch ID go? Oh, so where does Apple Pay go, right? Like, they're not going to remove that.
1: Just a blood sample. You think, <laughs>
0: you just prick your finger on the phone every single time you buy something. It's a, it's a yeah. real Pavlovian response to buying new things.
1: <laughs> I don't... I don't see them removing it unless there's something equally secure and easy to use. And we're going to get into some things that could, that could do that potentially, but they're not going, I don't, I don't see them getting rid of it without a really strong case to replace it with something else. And I can hear you now, Stephen. the headphone jack, they removed the headphone jack. And I don't think, I still don't think they've given enough of a, of a reason why, but that's a different type of feature. I will say
0: on that note, though, they did remove it, but they gave me AirPods, and AirPods are amazing. And I know they could have given me AirPods anyway. Without. I know they could have done it anyway, but, you know, there is a better thing. I
1: think that sidesteps the actual argument of Touch ID, like you said, is key to not only Apple Pay, but, like, device security. And, like, a headphone jack. Like, I was going to write off that complaint because headphone jack is, is like, it's a kind of a pain to live without it, but it's not... It's not device security. It's not payment security. And can they go to all the, all their banking partners and, and deal with this in a way that like, keeps everybody happy or such ID like the linchpin and all of it? I, just, I, don't, I don't know if any of us on the outside know how important touch ID is to some of those deals, but Apple is not going to do something that is less secure, right? That, that goes against everything they've done like the last five years if not longer with this phone. So I just I don't buy this unless the replacement is equally good to use and equally secure.
2: All right, I have many many thoughts here. Here we
1: go. So
0: then everyone.
2: L- let me go with an opening statement which is the oh, idea no. of just getting rid of Touch ID because you cannot figure out a way to make it work with the iPhone Pro is the equivalent of getting a new car when you blow a tire. Like uh, well, we couldn't get that to work, so I think yeah. we might as well get rid of
0: it. It is a real scorched earth situation, yeah. right? So we couldn't work it out, so nah, whatever.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, that said, we can all agree on the fact that there's no way that Apple is going back to a world where it's just a passcode. Uh, there has to be a second, uh, possibly based on biometric authentication method, of providing an extra layer of encryption and security on the iPhone. Uh, so far that has been touch id and touch id powers a lot of services and features on the iphone from uh encrypting backups and you know the lock screen authentication with the app store apple pay um you know uh the api for developers there's a whole api to use touch id in third party apps and touch id is really everywhere uh, and the thing that sells touch id it's not that it's a fingerprint yes it's a fingerprint reader uh but it it's the fact that it's so Fast, accessible, and easy to use. And also the fact that you don't have to look at your phone while you authenticate with ID. Anyone who's ever taken the tube in London, Mike, you know this. Or oh, you're grocery shopping and you're in a hurry. You just place your finger on the on the home button and you feel the tap and you hear the sound effect and you're done. You know that you've authenticated. It doesn't get in the way, and it's an unassuming interaction. You know, it, it's not flashy. And we're at the point where, you know, most people are getting used to Apple Pay, most people are getting used to Touch ID. It's a natural way of authenticating. Um, So if Apple wants to, in my mind, if Apple wants to provide an alternative to Touch ID, it has to be as quick and easy to use and accessible. Because remember, one of the benefits of Touch ID is that it's in a fixed position on the device. Even if you have, uh, you know... uh, motor impa- impairments or visual impairments, you can just feel Touch ID and you can use it. Anyone can use it, unless you don't have fingers or you've burned off your fingerprints, but that's another problem. Um, so a faster solution the to Touch ID, let's assume that it's face recognition. Um, there's j- The problem with face recognition is not that m- most implementations so far have sucked, which is, you know, we can all agree on that. They're not perfect, they're not great. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if Apple comes out with a much better, faster, more powerful solution and we're all surprised, well Apple did it again, you know, they reinvented face recognition I could see that actually and I could see how in iOS 11, you know, with the machine learning stuff, if you look at the vision APIs, uh, Apple has much improved the system that they provide to third party developers, you, you know the system can recognize faces that are partially occ- occluded, you know, people with sunglasses, with hats uh, profiles, Uh the API itself is more powerful. So you can only imagine, if the API is even more powerful, imagine the stuff that Apple keeps to themselves. So it's totally possible that Apple can pull this off, especially with the 3D m- mapping, you know, stuff with the depth perception. My problem is in the physical implementation of face recognition. So in the uh, there's also a report from Gurman and Bloomberg and he says that Apple has figured out a way to make this work even when an iPhone is sitting flat on a table. Um, so, you know, I have to assume even if you place your uh, iPhone next to a scanner, next to uh, a point-of-sale system, somehow the camera is going to look right back at you and authenticate you. And I struggle to imagine how that could be possible uh, unless there's a, there's a multi-camera array uh, along the top edge and the bottom edge of the phone. I I struggle to imagine a way to make this work without holding up an iPhone and basically taking a selfie. And if we reach that point where we imagine an iPhone Pro and a bunch of people in the London Tube or at my local supermarket, and everyone before authenticating has to basically take a selfie, even if it takes a second, it's not, you know... The operation itself can take even less than a second. It's the gesture of pulling out your phone, looking at your face, basically taking a selfie. Now everybody's looking at you and you end up with a whole system that takes at least three seconds and it's much slower than Touch ID. And this is where I come down on this rumor right now. It's hard for me to imagine a system that is faster than Touch ID. Not more secure because i I can't believe that Apple maybe has a solution that you know it can identify uh two d pictures so it won't authenticate you it can identify you know even the finest details of your skin and your eyebrows and your retina, whatever. I totally believe that it's gonna be possible somehow, but it's the different physical behavior of using a face scanner and it's the accessibility of that what happens in low light conditions and there's a few people that says well apple is going to use uh, an ir scanner so it can work even if it's dark all right sure what happens if you know uh, i'm i'm a blind person and i don't i cannot look at the screen i don't know if i'm looking straight at my face or if i'm holding the holding the iphone at a weird angle and it doesn't authenticate me Uh, Whereas with Touch ID before, I could just feel the button and place my finger. It's such a different way of authenticating. And it's such a different way of holding the iPhone and, you know, saying it's me. That combining that with the even higher emphasis on Apple Pay in iOS 11 from, you know, Touch ID with Apple Pay in iMessage, the App Store dialog when you purchase apps in iOS 11, it looks like an Apple Pay sheet and there's a fingerprint icon right front and center on that dialog. It's so strange to me that Apple would get rid of Touch ID right now because they cannot figure out how to make it work with the iPhone Pro and that the solution to that is a face scanner. I, I, I just don't know what
0: to think, honestly. Mark Gurman follows up with a report, some quotes from Mark Gurman's report. Apple is testing an improved security system that allows users to log in, authenticate payments and launch secure apps by scanning their face, according to people familiar with the product. It can scan a user's face and unlock the iPhone within a few hundred milliseconds, the person said. It is designed to work even if the device is laying flat on a table rather than just close up to the face. However, the intent is for it to replace the Touch ID fingerprint scanner. In testing, the face unlock feature takes in more data points than a fingerprint scan, making it more secure than the Touch ID system, the person said. The feature is still being tested and may not appear with the new device. That last line, I put it in there. I think that this is one of those things that Bloomberg makes Garmin put in, personally. I think that they're just like, you got to cover
1: yourself. The safety net.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that they may put weird stuff like that in there, as well as like the as the person said. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this, you know. Remember, year of optimism and all that that I'm going for, it's mm. my my plan here. So I remember that fingerprint scanners were terrible. And that the idea of Apple putting a fingerprint scanner into the iPhone seemed like a stupid one because fingerprint scanners were terrible, right? Like every fingerprint scanner I'd ever used on like a ThinkPad just just didn't work, right? Like they just flat out didn't work. Touch ID works. It's flawless effectively, right, with how how successful it is. So let's assume that what Gurman's saying is true, right? That all of this stuff is correct. This sounds fine to me. This sounds good. Like speed. Okay. So let's say, let's just take the the argument about speed. I understand that as a thing about why speed in these situations is good. But if we don't, let's think like that, let's say it takes a little bit longer than touch ID. What are the other benefits, right? Like, Speed isn't the only thing here, and there may be something that's nicer. There may be something that's just cooler about it, right? That all you do is just pick up your phone. The action that we all have for picking up the phone, the race to wake. As soon as we do that now, our phone's unlocked. Like, we don't need to worry about tapping anything or clicking anything. We don't need to have a home button anymore. So not having a home button means that our screens are even bigger than before right so we that is a big benefit that we get maybe we don't need buttons at all on the next phone and it's just this beautiful thing because it's all about this using this face detection technology like if, in trying to have faith in this i can maybe see that there could be some very interesting stuff in here and like stuff about like which i agree with how do you do buying of stuff when you're already looking at the device like do you like th- there is an implementation detail in there that's not for us to decide, but if we assume that they work it out in and in, in an as nice a way as they've worked out putting my thumb on the screen, then it'll be fine let's say for example it's kind of playful blink or like mm. you know like there could be something in it that is interesting maybe you pick your own facial expression that <laughs> that helps you <laughs> buy sort of stuff. Of password. Yeah, Yeah, show any motion. (laughs) So I think, like, I agree that, like, the pure idea of Touch ID going away is bonkers. But if you think it just becomes Face ID and we use our faces instead of our fingerprint scanners and we get all of the functionality we had before and just leave it up to them to work out the details the benefits that we could potentially get just from a device perspective could be great and i agree with you federico that like on paper it maybe sounds harder for accessibility but i also have faith that apple's got that part covered because that's something that they care about so much right like mm-hmm. i will assume that whatever they do it will not become harder for people that have accessibility issues to use it may expose some new ones but everything does right like everything they add may solve something for some people make it harder for others but i'm sure that they will try their utmost to make sure that this feature includes as many people as possible and then make a epic amount of options to allow for people that now are struggling to be able to access their device in a different way right like i'm confident that they will find ways to tackle that part because maybe more than any other technology company any mentioned technology company apple cares about this stuff more than anybody else right
2: I'm really torn on this and I, and I totally understand your point and I'm going to play devil's advocate and let's think that it's happening and it's real. Uh, so I think you're totally right when you say even if it's slightly slower, um, not because the se- the sensor takes milliseconds, but because, you know, there's humans holding phones and humans don't, don't just take milliseconds to operate. Uh, but even if it's slower and it takes two, three seconds, if it's more secure, then I totally buy the argument. You know, Apple could say it's... You know, I mean, they won't say it's slower, but you know, it's times more uh, secure and unique than Touch ID. So we believe this is the right technology to use going forward. And that I could buy. Um, and I could also say, you know, there's a there could be an elegant way to uh, make this work for the thousands of apps that already implement Touch ID, and maybe the same API used for a Touch ID authentication could automatically fall back onto Face ID when you're using an iPhone 8. So right at launch, one password without doing any work, for example, could support Face yeah. ID with the same oh, Touch yeah. ID dialogue.
0: It's just the same call. Like, it's just the same API call and Apple just throws up like the new UI that they've built. I think so. Like, that's how that will work.
2: So that could work. Um, you know, I think part of me, the, the the problem that I have right now is that I'm feeling the same way that older people felt about the headphone jack going away. Because Touch ID is a feature of our generation. And to, see, to think about it going away already, it makes me feel uneasy right now. And it makes me come up with all kinds of questions and reasons why it would be a bad idea. But there's also the argument that Touch ID doesn't work for everyone. Uh, you know, if you have Face ID, it doesn't matter if you're sweaty or you just took a Shower, you know, because the camera doesn't touch your skin. You're just looking at your face, so you can always authenticate. Whereas Touch ID has that kind of problems. And Face ID would work even if you're wearing gloves, you know, or hats or glasses. Uh, Once again, because it doesn't matter whether your skin is in direct contact with the sensor. So I could see all the arguments for that. It's just that kind of feature that I was there when it launched. And it's become so entrenched in the way that we use iOS... That it makes me skeptical to think of a replacement, not even four, five years after the first Touch ID sensor. Uh, again, I should say, if and that's a big if, uh, it's really safer and more secure than Touch ID. If it, you know, if this Face ID can provide more unique data points about whether it's really me. And by the way, the argument that you know, what happens if you change your hairstyle? That's really not relevant because right now i'm looking at my photos app and the photos app with no training uh can recognize my face when i was you know 16 when i was bald because i was doing chemo and when i had a beard when i didn't have a a beard so it doesn't really matter
0: i think the things that it's looking for like it's not looking for is your hair spiky right like it's looking for like the distance between your eyes you know like it's you know
2: yeah I can tell you myself it doesn't really matter because I've had all kinds of hairstyles. So that's not a problem. Uh, My problem is what happens in busy situations where there's a lot of people behind you. So that's, you know, and I could think about that and maybe say, well, that's where the 3D stuff comes in because you have a 3D map so you can block out people in the background. For example, people waiting in line at the cash register or people waiting in line in the tube and you could identify you or it could use some kind of proximity with the Apple Watch. I don't know, but it could... I'm sure that Apple can find a way to say, there's 50 people here, but the person that is trying to authenticate with with Face ID is this user, you know, X centimeters away from the camera. So that I could totally believe. My main question is, how does it work in 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 the physical space? What am I supposed to do to make this work? Because Touch ID is a known quantity. I just have to Pick up my phone. I don't have to look at it. I place my finger, and it works. Face ID will require some kind of selfie-like authentication process, which I'm not sure about. But I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm trying to be optimistic, but it's my second nature to, you know, find all the possible problems and consequences and how things could go badly. Here's the so, thing,
0: right? Like I, I've been thinking about this in the idea of uh, Fraser Spears' fantastic article that's been shared a few times this week, where like. He argues, like he makes, like does a review of a MacBook Pro as an iPad user, like flips it on its head, like can the MacBook Pro replace your iPad, right? Like he he, he did this, it was like in 2015, but it's still relevant now because for some reason this has become a, a problem again. And mm-hmm. let's imagine that we already have face detection and we're going to move to fingerprint detection. Right. And it's like, oh, I have to put like specific fingers on my phone. Like, all I have to do right now is pick it up and it unlocks. What if Mm -hmm. my girlfriend wants to use my phone? She now has to like, she has to pass it to me and I have to unlock it when she could just point it at my face and unlock it. Like, that's so much easier. Right. Like, there are just these arguments that I can imagine if this thing is great about like why it could be better. And then I think it's fun to turn it on its head. Like, I'm optimistic about this because I think that. In removing the home button completely, and therefore Touch ID going with it, there are a lot of advancements in the hardware that we could get, and then it's up to Apple to make Face ID better than anything that's come before it, and better than Touch ID. And I believe that they would not remove Touch ID from the next phone, the phone that's going to be the most expensive, most premium iPhone that's ever made, if it's worse I just can't see that being a thing because yeah, there's yeah. no way they got to a point where they were like oh this won't work. Oh no, we have nothing. We have no plan B. Like there was mm-hmm. always a plan B. Them like that's silly to me. And my hope is that Face ID was plan A. Touch ID was plan B. And they just couldn't get it to work. Mm. So we'll see.
2: You know, I'm I'm calling it now there's going to be people if Face ID happens, there's going to be people who 3D print uh heads like uh, to like models to test the whether it works or not, and I bet that whatever system Apple comes up with it's gonna have some of you know some clever uh workarounds for that like it detects uh like those minimal movements of your eyes or mm-hmm. you know of your skin like sub skin elements even uh that now? you know it can recognize uh human versus like a mannequin holding an iphone so that 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 that's gonna be super fascinating if it happens. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it does potentially open up an an opportunity on the Mac as well. If Touch ID is going to be married to the Touch Bar on the Mac and the Touch Bar is dead in the water or difficult to implement in an external Bluetooth keyboard, I would imagine that they could put whatever this face sensing deal is. And we haven't really gotten into that. Surely it's more than just the camera. But that could come to the Mac and be really interesting if touch id is indeed getting replaced with some sort of facial thing right that, that you could add that to an iMac and it doesn't matter what keyboard you have
0: because every mac already has a camera on the front of it anyway right
1: right so and and i i truly believe that this would be something more than just the camera that it's using ir of or something else but but you have sp- like you already have some infrastructure there you could put the secure enclave in there somewhere and you could you know every mac has a bezel around the screen and there's like already a camera up there just put something else up there too so that's If this is the case that Touch ID is going to be kind of pushed aside for some sort of facial thing, I would be very interested to see where that expands in the future to other products besides just the iPhone. All right.
0: This episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Hover. When you have a great idea for your next blog or your next project that you've been working on, you need to get a website. And when you get a website, you need to have a great domain name because, look, you want it to be memorable. Maybe you want to set up an email address with it as well. Right, Hover offer that by the way. You want to have a great email address. Like there is a bunch of different reasons to get a great domain, and finding that perfect domain is so easy with Hover. They have over 400 domain extensions that you can end your domain with, all of the classics that you're used to, and all the crazy ones as well. And once you get your domain, you can use it to get an on-brand or maybe just a more professional email address. Like it is nice to have an email address that has a personalized domain rather than like Hotmail or something, and all this stuff can be super easy to set up with Hover and any email address that you create will work with whatever email programs you're already using and they'll be able to help you with that because they have fantastic features like their support team, right? Their support team is always there for you. You can give them a call. They have an actual person that's gonna pick up the phone. They'll answer whatever questions you might have. There are no annoying phone trees or being transferred to another department for you to deal with. They also have Hover Connect which lets you set up your domain in just a few clicks with any with most popular website builders. There's no more digging through particles to figure out how to get those mx records to work find the perfect domain for your next idea go to hover.com slash connected and you'll get 10 percent of your first purchase that is hover.com slash connected to find out more and get 10 percent of your first purchase at hover.com thank you so much to hover for their support hover domain names for your ideas thank you so much to hover for supporting this show and relay fm steven we were talking about the reviews of the Echo Show last week, and since that episode, mm-hmm. you yours was received. You now have uh, an Echo Show at home, and I was saying on the episode that, like, I'm reserving most of my judgment until I hear what you have to say. So, what's going on? Wow, that's
1: a that's a real vote of confidence. I believe in you. So, I would, I would. I'm going to categorize my comments in sort of three buckets. Hardware, software, and potential. So, no doubt people have seen photos of this thing. It is not the the prettiest thing in my household. Unfortunately, the screen is bright. Uh, I was ta- I actually had a video call on it with Jason Snell. And we both sort of commented like how deep the screen looks recessed, like it's not laminated to the cover like you're used to on an iPad or an iPhone. But it's really bright. It's really clear. The speakers are incredible, way better than the regular Echo. Uh, definitely better than the Dot. I mean, I've got a Dot here on my desk, and the speaker is, is just it's fine for the voice, but that's about it. Um, interestingly, I noticed during the boot-up sequence is a little flash of the Intel Inside Logo. Which I did not anticipate. I figured huh. these things would have some sort of ARM <laughs> processor in them. How peculiar to see that! I I, I don't know what's in there. Uh, I tried <laughs> to do some digging, and it, there's not a lot of information on the web about what Intel processors in here. You know, maybe wow. maybe that's where all the Xeons wow. went that Apple didn't use. But does it
2: have a Does it have a Pentium three sticker also? That'd in be the awesome. Back?
1: <laughs> 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 that'd be incredible. Uh, so it's uh, got Intel inside um, the the microphone array and everything. Seems to work just as well as the the regular echo. It is more directional in a way. You know the the echo and the dot being cylinders. The sound comes out of them the same in every direction. So you could put it kind of anywhere in the room. The speakers on the show uh, fire forward, which makes sense because you have a screen, right? You're not going to point the screen at the wall. But it's something to be aware of as you set this thing up. That. You may need to turn it or have it slightly different if you're just dropping in where a regular Echo was. And one thing that Amazon's done that I think is incredible, and I think like Microsoft did this with the Xbox and now the uh, Xbox One X, the power uh, plug is the same, and it's in the same place. And so you can unplug your Echo and plug your Echo Show in with the same power brick and everything. You don't have to change anything out. So if it's behind... You know, stuff on the kitchen counter or in an entertainment center somewhere. You're not digging around. You can just unplug it and plug the same little barrel con- barrel connector in, which I love those those little details that hardware makers do. And Amazon gets a lot of that stuff right, honestly. So the, the hardware, it's not much to look at, but what is there is nice. Uh, it does look kind of like a little old TV set, but um, got a little a little more bulk than I ha- had anticipated. I maybe we'll find it for the show notes. I put a picture on Instagram of it. And the Molar Mac, which is like the super ugly Mac Apple made in the 90s, and they kind of look the same from a certain angle. And uh, so that's that's not great, but um, it is what it is, I guess. The, the touchscreen itself, kind of moving from hardware to software, enables a lot of nice stuff. And where I was immediately impressed with it, this, oh, this is so much better than the regular Echo experience was connecting to Wi-Fi. So Amazon does have this thing if you have an account set up with an Echo that you can have Amazon hold on to your wireless password. Uh, I don't have that uh, enabled on my account for hopefully obvious reasons. So I had to type in my Wi-Fi password. And instead of like getting the Echo app out, I like, actually pulled my phone out while the thing was booting up thinking I'm going to need the phone to configure this. And you don't, because it has a screen. You can just, you know, type in your Wi-Fi password. It was kind of great if you're used to the, the normal Echo interface. Uh, the, the first thing, one of the first things I tried, of course, was the video calling. There's no interface to this, and so I just said, friend in a tube, video call Jason Snell. And it did it. Like, I just tried the first thing that came to mind, and it worked. And I was impressed that it understood that I got the vocabulary right by basically guessing. Um, the call was fine. It did freeze at first, but then it, it was okay. Uh, and I'm willing to like, this was very early, like we got ours in like the first or second day they were out. Uh, I haven't had that problem on subsequent calls. So maybe it was just a hiccup. Uh, but Jason Snell, like had lifted his arms in the air and then he was frozen that way for a couple minutes. which was pretty funny. <laughs> um, I wish you got a picture of that. It was pretty, I should have. Yeah, I should have. I'd have been, he was just like standing with his, his arms raised high in victory. But, uh, if the the call quality and stuff is fine. It's what you expect from from FaceTime or Skype on a good day. The the software benefits from all the work Amazon does in the background. So it knew who Jason Snell was because I had already given them all my contacts. Sorry. Uh, oh, man. Part of the, part of the deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If Amazon didn't know your email address, real sorry. But uh, it is what it is. But it knew who he was because he already had access to that. Likewise, I didn't have to go in and set up Spotify because my Echo system already knows about my Spotify account. So I could just tell it, friend in a tube, you know, play polka music, and it knew what to do because it was already hooked up. Polka, polka, polka. That's right. Amazon does a really good job with that stuff. You know, kind of how Apple does with iCloud. If you signed iCloud in your account, certain things take place. Uh, it's the same with with all this stuff. But um unfortunately it's not all it's not all puppies and rainbows when it comes to the software on this thing and I will preface my complaints by saying two things A I know it's early days and Amazon generally does a pretty decent job at at updating things and you know, there's some things on the on the Echo originally that they have resolved things on the Kindles have gotten better over time so I understand that my complaints could be resolved with future software updates. And indeed, I hope they are. Uh, two, there is an inherent weirdness in in reviewing something over such a short period of time. And Dan Morin actually was giving me a hard time about this, uh, about trying to like make a decision on this product so early because it is so different than the other Echo. I, I appreciate that thought, but I, I also disagree with it a little bit, that there are some things that you're just going to know that if you like or not. And the Echo Show is one of those things for me. Like the Logitech Slim Um, Combo. Huh? Like the Logitech Slim Combo. Exactly. Uh, It doesn't take long to realize that thing is a piece of garbage. So a couple of things in the software that I really don't like. Um, First, every screen has a hint. So if you are currently playing your Polka music, it's got you know the album artwork and it's, you know it's like an iPod, right? It's got all your your music information on it. But then there's a little line and it says, "Try," you know, wake word, show me my photo albums. It's like I don't need a hint when I'm listening to music to try something else. Also, lol, mm. no one uses Amazon Photo Service, mm. but um, so it felt kind of like advertising in a way for a service that no one's using, but also like explain to you what else your device can do. I mean almost every single screen on the Echo Show has this little bottom third of saying, "Hey, try this other voice command." And I appreciate the the helpfulness that they're trying, like they're trying to surface new commands because there's no interface to this thing, right? I just had to say "video call Jason Snell" for it to work because I couldn't there's no interface to like go and do that thing. But the trade-off is I feel like I'm being like annoyed to death by the tips app on iOS eleven mm. and I could not find a way to turn this off in settings, which is a bummer.
0: I wonder if it's something that goes away after a certain period of time
1: it, it may, and I have not like sat down and like mapped out the frequency of it so i don't I don't know to be honest with you I would hope that it would it would trail off of hey once you've set you know x number of commands to this thing, then slowly fade these away but uh for now at least starting off you know the first Week or so of use they're they're not there uh, or they're there all the time. Excuse me. The other big thing that 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 bothers me about the echo show is it is very attention hungry and and what I mean by that, the echo itself, the echo dot and Siri and you know Bixby, I guess if you have a Samsung phone, the Google assistant all of these things are kind of. They're kind of in waiting, and what I mean by that is that they are, they are there for you when you want them to do something or when you need something, but they're not reminding you of their presence. So the echo, if I'm not talking to it, the the LEDs are off. It's just sitting on my kitchen counter, and you may know what it is if you come into my house, or you may think it's a weird salt and pepper grinder or something. It's just it's just a, a an object sitting on the counter, right? Not necessarily the prettiest thing but it's it's very inoffensive. If you're not using Siri, it's just locked away behind the home button or the wake word. Same with the Google Assistant. But the show is not that way. The show has a screen, and that screen is always on, yeah. and th- you can fall back to a screensaver of just a clock, and if you put the thing in do not disturb mode, it goes to the clock and stays there. But every time you walk by it, or if you're like me and it's in your office that's only 200 square feet it detects your motion and so the screen's always awake. And what it's doing is showing uh, Amazon, I believe they're called home cards. And these cards kind of cycle through on a carousel and I care about none of them. So you can tell it, hey, put my next calendar appointment in there if I use Google Calendar. uh, Put these things in here. But it's also a lot of news, a lot of entertainment stuff that honestly I just don't care about. Like I, I I don't care, you know, about, like one was like, Like you know, like some new like thing on Instagram that was trending, or what Kanye was doing for the Fourth of July. I just don't care, and I don't want that stuff uh, shown, you know, to me. Right, like I don't want to see it, and there's no way to like again to turn that off. There's no way to tell it just go to the clock and stay there unless you put it in Do Not Disturb. So it is, it is again, it, it is trying to pull your attention into it when all of these other voice assistants are just kind of laying and waiting does that does that make sense like does that framing make sense to you mike yeah and i don't like the sound of it I,
0: I, there's I, I don't know if i'd assumed that the screen was always on um probably i did but just thinking of that is not what i like about my echo in that as you say i like the idea of in waiting right that's a really good way of putting it but these things are just like they're like jeeves and jeeves is never seen right like he's just you know when you need him, he'll come and help you out. But like, if you don't need him, he's not going to be there like holding up a big sign saying like, hey, would you like me to (laughs) get the buggy master? I don't know why I'm doing this, but that's kind of where my mind went to. I I don't like the idea of it just being this persistent screen that has stuff showing on it when that stuff a lot of the time feels like it might be like advertisements to use it more, right? (laughs) Like, like, come and do this with me. Like, I I don't... I don't need you to do that. Like I appreciate the ability at trying to teach someone how to use their device a little bit better, but do that in context. Like, so if I've asked you a question about photos, give me some other options for it or let me tell you that I need help with something. I don't know. There's something about like, as you say, like when you're doing one thing and it's trying to give you a tip about another piece of functionality that's completely unrelated, It feels a little bit redundant and it it. it needy in a way that I'm not keen on uh, for a device like this. I don't need neediness from my voice assistant devices.
1: Yeah, The, the, you know, someone in the chat I'm asking, what would I want to see on that home screen? The calendar stuff is nice, but you know, I like the clock, I like to have weather, which I think you can tell the weather to be there, but I would like that stuff to be more sort of ambient, like these, these tiles don't need to rotate around on a carousel. Like every time the thing moves, it catches my eye and I don't, my, my wife did not want that in the kitchen, which is why this thing is in the office. And I don't want it here in my office catching my eye every time. Like I, I have a digital clock in my office and it shows the weather and like, like some, some stats like Twitter followers and YouTube subscribers and stuff. Like it was a Christmas <laughs> gift. I really like it. It's on the other side of my office. I can't see it from my desk. Because every time the thing moves, it catches my eye. And I, you know, maybe I'm just a squirrel attracted to shiny things, but that is really distracting when I'm trying to write or trying to edit. Mm -hmm. And this thing is like, every time you walk by it, it's got something new to show you. And there may be a place for that in the kitchen, right? Like having a screen that surfaces things. But I, I think my household, I'll speak for, for my wife as well, we have come to appreciate the echo because it's not there unless you... Uh, start the conversation, and that difference may seem subtle, but I think it's really profound that something is always responsive as to something that is is trying to initiate some sort of
0: interaction. Seems like you're not too hot on this in the overall. Like I can't imagine you're going to be keeping this thing.
1: I'm not. I'm not keeping it. um I I, I see. So the the third part of the view is potential. If they solve the software issues that's great. I can see a real potential of things like the, uh, and it's been mocked a lot. And, and there's been a lot of like Apple comment, Apple commentators, like really down on this feature of being able to like the drop in. Right. So Mike, if I gave you, if I, if I gave you permission, underline all of those words, then you can start a video call and I don't have to approve it. Like you, you can just show up. You know what, if you don't want that, don't, opt into it. It's not a hard thing. You don't have to write a blog post burning Amazon down. You don't opt into it, but there are times and relationships I think that would benefit from that. I think Amazon's did a pretty good job at outlining what those would be, but like that stuff is promising. It sounds great. Having a screen is nice. Like having a little news or having weather, like that sort of stuff is nice. But I think Amazon has a long way in going and understanding what customers like about the Echo products. And how the Echo Show breaks a lot of those things, at least for users like me. And I think the Echo Show is salvageable. Like, I don't think it's a dead-end product. But I think Amazon sort of missed the mark in understanding what people like about the service. And it's too pushy, and it's too in-your-face. And if they can dial some of that back, and the screen can be there when you want it, but not all the time, I think I at least would find it a much more attractive offering. Uh, But for now, I'd prefer my $200 back or whatever it was. So I'm returning it. It
0: really sounds to me like what I expected in that it adds a bunch of functionality, which is interesting. It's just not the stuff I want to do. And everything that I want to do with that device is already in the one I own. So I'm all good.
1: Yes. Yeah, you know, Jason talked about uh, he has some security cameras that the echo show can show him a live feed from the camera like that sort of stuff is cool like do things that you mm-hmm. can't do on a regular echo but the other stuff i think is the 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 water's just too muddy now for me all right today's show is also
0: brought to you by igloo a digital workplace platform that enhances your corporate culture improving how you work with your teams and the people inside of your organization igloo will help connect your team to three important things the people inside of your company, the information that you need to share, and the processes that you have to go to. With Igloo, your people have access to what they need using the tools that they already know with a host of app integrations right inside of their Igloo. So you get to be able to share everything you need in your company, One of my favorite thoughts about this is when I used to work in a big company, everybody needed to sign a piece of paper to say that they understood some kind of safety procedure, and somebody had to physically walk it around the whole department and get people to sign it. With Igloo, you don't need that sort of stuff because people can just acknowledge that they've seen something. You can send out everything, you can make sure everybody's seen it, and then you're all set and ready to go. But you can also make sure that people are comfortable working within Igloo because they're using the devices that they love to use, they're not being forced to use a certain browser or a certain machine and they're also able to integrate with the applications and services that they're using to get their other pieces of their work done this is powerful stuff igloo can also be customized to represent your brand and culture it helps define how your company operates to enhance your processes and your culture inside of your organization there are four things that you need to think about communication collaboration knowledge management and the workflow ...of your team. and This is what you can get started on with Igloo. That is what it's focused on. Enhancing, building, and maybe even fixing. Igloo is a modern intranet designed to keep everyone on the same page. Try Igloo for free, with no obligation to continue after your trial. Go to igloosoftware.com slash connected now to find out more and sign up. We thank Igloo for their support of this show. So as we are still in the phase, I believe that Federico is still in the phase of his life... ...in which he is devouring videos of sessions from wwdc
2: no not anymore surprisingly
0: oh congratulations you're out of it
2: i have started writing the review yeah
0: so you're now at that stage which means that you've watched every single second of every single session i know that's what you've done every session has been consumed
2: Mm. well 50
0: no i think it was all of them i think you're being modest every single session that's what i heard you watched them twice and has done sure. that since WWDC. So Tichi teaches today, which is the segment that I have given this a name for, and potentially maybe the last one. But at least I have a name for it now. Uh-huh. Uh, Tichi teaches us today Core ML. What is Core ML, Federico?
2: So no, Core ML. It sounds like caramel, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's not it's not that. It's not <laughs> caramel for AI. It's a, it's a different thing. Uh, I didn't so,
0: realize that. That's so amazing.
2: <laughs> um... Core ML is... I'm um, <laughs> afraid to disappoint you, Mike.
0: <laughs> I can't hear it
2: any other way now. Yeah, I know, Caramel. Uh, so Core ML, it's not the deep and open framework that you might expect. Uh, it's really, it's uh, really more of stop. a set... If it's
1: it, not deep and open, who cares? Yeah, well, okay. what do we need it for? Well, I'm
2: sorry. There, You can end the show. Um, it's more of a set of developer tools for machine learning. It's not a framework to write to develop actual machine learning stuff so here's how it works machine learning is at least the way that apple is doing it. it is based on models and models are think of them as files of code it's actual code that you download from public sources in this case for ios and there are a variety of models uh, created with other tools uh such as keras or cafe or uh, there's one called Scikit, I think. Uh, so you download these models and they are code made by others to describe a series of objects or scenes or uh, items, stuff that you want machine learning to recognize and patterns that you want to your software to understand. So the way that Apple has done it, they have this format. So Core ML is largely a format and a set of developer APIs that allows you to take in this already trained models, so this code that has already been taught how to recognize specific elements of everyday life. I'm simplifying here, but to understand, you take these models, Apple has a webpage where they have some sample models that already work with CoreML, and you make them work with Apple's format. So the CoreML format is an actual file format You convert these models into the iOS Core ML format and you drop them into Xcode and you drop them into your app and you suddenly gain machine learning features from these already trained models. The way that Apple is doing it um, seems to me, I mean, I don't understand this stuff. I don't know. I mean, I've taken a look at machine learning code and it's a bunch of mathematics that I really don't understand. Uh, But the way that it works is you set a goal. You're like, I want my photo app to recognize flowers and to recognize hotels and airports. You know, I have these three different categories that I want my app to understand. So you find a model that is able to recognize those features in a photo. Um, You take the model and you run it through the Python converter that Apple has put together and that generates a compatible Core ML file. You drop it into Xcode and your app can now uh, you know, identify flowers, airports, and hotels because of the CoreML ML tools. Um, at a higher level, there's a bunch of machine learning APIs that Apple is offering in iOS 11. And Core ML itself is used by Apple in Siri for translation. Uh, it's using the camera for, I think, for scene and object recognition. And it's also used, I believe, in the QuickType keyboard. So, you know, you can um, you know, the next word predictions and the all the suggestions that you get in the keyboard are powered by CoreML. Below CoreML on iOS 11, you find the more specific frameworks such as the Vision API, so computer vision, it can recognize faces, scenes, objects, rectangles, whatever. And you have the NLP uh, API, which is the Natural Language Processing, which can do a bunch of things, like it can recognize sentences, it can recognize um, individual entities, like verbs and pronouns and nouns. Um, But these more specific APIs, they are an implementation of machine learning and they depend on core ML for them to work. Um, So really, what Apple has done here is... I saw someone say Apple has made the PDF of machine learning with Core ML, and I, and I sort of understand the idea. I mean, it's not as easy as you know, opening a PDF. Of course, you still need to write a bunch of code, and you still need to understand what you're doing. It's not like you're taking a Core ML file and you you know, copy and paste into Xcode. Boom, machine learning. It's happening. It's not that easy.
0: Are you sure though? It sounds like it is that easy. That's sounds, that's what I'm simple. getting from why you're explaining it.
2: It is it is much easier for developers, uh, to find a model trained by someone else publicly available open source and use it in an iOS app and the fact that Apple is providing some models for free some of them coming from Google I believe is a testament to the fact that they want to make it easy for you to get started Um, I'm interested to see how developers are gonna take advantage of this um in the sense of what are the possible implementations that we're going to see as users? What does this mean for us? Um, and I think, you know, stuff like photos and uh, translations, you know, the, the basics of recognizing things in a picture or understanding what a, scr- a string of text means, you know, that stuff, I think we're going to see plenty of it. Uh, I think we're going to get a bunch of announcements for the apps that we already use, Starting this fall, we're gonna get, for example, your calendar now can make better suggestions for the locations of events or the times of specific events. Or we're gonna see apps that can automatically sort our photo libraries, you know, in a way that maybe not even the Apple Photos app does. Uh, we're gonna get, you know, all these um, image recognition, uh, summarizing text, uh, you know, doing translation. Maybe even if you, could, the thing is, you can even combine. These APIs together. So for example, you can recognize some text using NLP, using natural language processing. Then you take that recognized text, you pass it to CoreML, and you say things like, well here's some text. I know that it's in English and I know that it's got two verbs and, you know, the name of a person named Mike, and Mike says he's going to a concert. Uh, Can you analyze the sentiment of this text? And CoreML will, you know, come back at you and say, well, it appears that Mike is happy, so maybe you want to show an happy face emoji. You know, that kind of stuff. You can mix and match these APIs and you can do most of this work using trained models that you can already find on the open web. You can take them, you can convert to the core ML format, use them in Xcode and let your app take advantage of those predictions, that analysis, you know, all those features that Xcode and, you know, the iOS SDK wouldn't normally give you for free. And then you can combine it with this other stuff like NLP and Vision. Uh, So I I think there's a lot of potential here for, you know, even the smaller features, like the smaller additions, like now Fantastical is smarter when it gives you recommendations for locations. Or now you can, you know, you can have a summary of your agenda based on the things that you want to know. Uh, And I think we're going to get these smaller, but yet so useful enhancements. And I'm really,
0: really curious to see how this goes. So uh, did that make any sense? Uh, it does. It does. Uh, I'm kind of. I am struggling to get my head around this one in ways that I haven't in the previous things that you've been yeah, talking yeah, about, and I've been yeah. that way since I first heard about caramel, because I don't fully understand how this framework is able to do anything like if you give it like this just list of things how does it know what what like it seems confusing to me
2: so the the basic idea is that it's all in the original code the original model so there's a imagine there's a long file with a millions of lines of code that has been trained with a type of neural network to understand what an apple looks like or what a bedroom looks like and that is actual code like there's a Programmer wrote that and taught the network how to recognize those items in a picture. And you take that knowledge, you take that code and you put it into an iOS compatible format, which is core ML, and you start using it into your app. So core ML, you know it's a two- way communication. Your app as a developer, Mike, you're putting together one, two, three AI. So you you can pass text, or you can pass an image, or you can pass you know data. You can pass a dictionary. So you take some input from your app, and you say CoreML, help me figure out what is going on here. And the framework is gonna you know do its processing. It's based on Metal. It's based on Accelerate. So these high performance frameworks that take you know a fraction of a second to understand you know scene recognition and that kind of stuff and it comes back with a message that says i believe there's a 90% accuracy that this picture is showing an apple or a horse or a mountain and you take that and you say well i believe you know as a user here's your message we believe this is a horse um but the the essence of the you know the the actual machine learning is happening in the model and that's what the most important part But what Apple is doing here is it's making it easy for developers to take these models that are that have been going around for a couple of years now, maybe even more, and to use them on iOS. So that's it was also tricky for me to understand because I was like, so where does the actual machine learning occur? And it's not in the model. What CoreML does is it's a Rosetta stone for machine learning and apps. And it's helping them communicate and translate those inputs and commands from the machine learning code into data that can be used by an app on iOS. So it's this framework right in the middle between the algorithm and your app.
0: That's what it is. Let me see if I can say that back to you in a way that I think I've understood it with an example. So, like, Apple's photo recognition stuff, right? They had a bunch of data which was Mm -hmm. saying, this is what this picture is, this is what this picture is. You know, this is what a Mm -hmm. horse is, this is what an Apple is. But they need something in the middle to translate that information back to the photos.app. And CoreML is the thing that can, like, it takes all of the information and can Mm. process it. So when yes. it, when the app asks a question, CoreML gives the answer because it has yes. all of the information. Yes. Okay. So everything yeah. that goes through CoreML has to have some kind of huge data set that CoreML can read from and That's it can the interpret yeah. in, in kind of it can interpret or extrapolate from it to give answers to questions that the application may have.
2: Basically and We're oversimplifying here, but yes,
0: that's what it does. Yeah, we have to oversimplify because this is way over my pay grade.
2: Yes, we Mm -hmm. uses the model, which is the actual code, the the programming that went into machine learning, and it communicates with iOS back and forth between the two, and it spits out a reasonable answer for your app to use.
1: What sorts of things do you see developers being able to do now that they have this, as opposed to in the past when this was more difficult or, or mm. out of the reach of more people?
2: Well, translation services that used you know in the past, like a web service or a web API, now they can do, if they have the right models and if they combine the uh, NLP API and CoreML together, they can now do all of this stuff offline with local processing. And it takes a couple of seconds, maybe even less. Uh, so, translation, um, doing things like summarizing text, or um, of course, categorizing pictures uh, based on scene or obje- objects recognizing a picture. And then you can do things like, and this is all done locally, there's no web-, web API. You don't have to be connected to the internet for this to work. You can do things like show me photos where I'm happy, or show me photos where another person was crying. And so you can do sentiment oh analysis. God. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And Don't make that such. I mean, maybe to
2: maybe to an extent you could do things like, uh, I want to help me find all of my diary entries where I was said and I was typing in Italian. So if, uh, you know, mm. I have a diary, sometimes I write in Italian, other times I write in English and I can find the sad entries of my diary in a specific language. Or maybe you could even do things like audio tagging, so you can process audio and recognize things in audio. Or you could do things like, I mean, um, understanding a specific speaker, for example, in, a, in, an, in an audio s- stream, like show me the bits where Mike is talking. Uh,
0: you know, all that kind of stuff. Everyone needs that. All apps should use that feature, the when Mike is talking feature.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a wild west right now really. Mm. It's all up to to the developer's imagination, the models that they can find. Uh, and there's the the criticism that is going on is that Apple is not making a real machine learning development tool. It's more of a of a of an API that takes in models from other proper tools yeah. and makes them compatible with iOS, you know, it can it actually includes the models into the binary of an app. So, you know, like a runtime, run the model is already there, uh, and it's not like a real program that you open on your computer and you're like, okay, I want to write machine learning code. That's not what it does. It's a way to take the model, take the code, and make it work with iOS.
0: Yeah, I understand that criticism, right? That, that yeah. They're kind of yeah. cheating in a way, but they're also making something that sounds pretty impressive. But yeah, they are getting around doing yeah. that stuff themselves
2: like it's not tensorflow you know it's not what google is doing it's a different approach
0: yeah thank you for teaching yeah. I,
1: <laughs> Sure, i feel educated thank you
0: is there anything else is there any other things that you want to do like are there other things that you can that uh, you can talk about
2: uh, there are other things I, I i need to decide so i don't i don't want to pre-announce it this time um you know, because it creates an expectation. But there are other things that I would cool. like to discuss with you and sort of to, to sort of wrap my head around because it can be difficult to understand these ideas just by myself.
0: So there will I be think more.
1: If you I think if you run out of stuff we can pivot and I can teach you guys about Apple Talk nodes. Sure. If you want to find our show notes in, for this week, just works. go to
0: relay.fm slash connected slash 149. I'd like to thank our sponsors again for helping support this episode. So a huge thanks to Igloo Hover and Mac Weldon. Uh, if you want to find us online, as a few places you can do that. You can go to 512pixels.net and at ISMH on Twitter for all of Stephen's stuff. And at Faticci, V-I-T-I-C-C-I and net for all of Federico's. I am imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys.
1: Arrivederci. Adios.